0: swept them, because women's basketball also beat them, but that's beside the point. Um, But anyway, to show that there were no hard feelings, uh, Coach Woodson, IU's coach, uh, invited the whole team. He's like, hey, let's all go to one of our golf courses, just kind of hang out and and build some fellowship, and and a foundation of fellowship, I guess. And so, uh, you know, they went out to play golf, and and it was kind of awkward at first, because IU had just beaten them, as I said, and uh, so they're kind of playing through, and then at the 14th hole, right before the 14th hole the whole team, just, the whole Purdue team just left. And so Woodson's like, are, are they upset? Like, what happened? Did one of my players say anything? And Matt Painter, the Purdue coach, was like, oh no, they just know that they can never get to the Final Four. <laughs> there we go, okay. <laughs> okay, so we, <laughs> I, sometimes I make myself laugh more than you guys, that's fine. Uh, so we are continuing the firm foundation series. And in this series, we're talking about the foundations of our faith, everything that that helps to make us who we are, to make us be more like Jesus, to make us know Jesus, to help us get there. And so each week we've talked about one of those building blocks, something that goes along with it. And so I want to kind of tie that together this week, and we still have one more week, but I wanna talk about discipleship, which is a word that we kind of throw around a lot in the church, but sometimes we never really talk about what it means. And so I want to go to Matthew chapter 28, 18 through 20 first. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority to heaven, in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So this was after the resurrection. And this was basically the last thing that Jesus said to the disciples before he went on to heaven to prepare a place. So when it's the last thing, you know that that's something vital, something super important. It's like if you're about to go away for the weekend and you're leaving your kids home for the first time alone, like you're going to go over everything and give them a list and everything, but the very last thing you're going to hit again is going to be something you really want them to remember, like the number of the, the pizza place or something that's very important to you. And so uh, he's saying this to them, and he's explaining this to them, and he's also saying it to us, but some amazing things in this passage. Number one, he talks about his authority. His authority is the greatest. He had just defeated death, just defeated sin, just defeated everything, and shown victory, shown truth, shown honor, shown faith to all of his followers, to all of us. He had saved the world. And so when he says, my authority, that is the authority. That's the highest authority that there could ever possibly be. And so in that authority, which is his and his alone, he is commanding us, giving us a commandment, giving the disciples a commandment. And as the God, he can do anything he wants. He could have taken care of the discipleship path any way he wants. He could have sent anyone he wanted. And yet, he chose us. He chose the imperfect. He chose those who would just give Him their heart, who would do everything they can to follow Him, to put Him first, to be with Him. Now think about, speaking of imperfect, think about who He's talking to right now. This is not long, like I said, after the resurrection. And so He's talking to Peter. Peter who lied three times and said he didn't even know Him and ran away. He's talking to Thomas, Thomas who doubted Him. He's talking to the other disciples, all of which but John, weren't there at the cross. And yet he still sees who they are. He still knows they're not defined by that. He still knows that they can do better. And so he calls them and he calls us. And he says very clearly, make disciples. Not make converts. Not make people that are just like you. Not make people who who will have a checklist. But make disciples. And then he goes on to say, teach them. Teach them. Teach them, not scream at them, not judge them, not shame them, not hate them, but teach them. And how do we teach? What is the most important part of teaching? This is rhetorical. What is the most important part of teaching? It's show and tell, right? And so show and tell. So we show them and we tell them, but we do so with our lives, we do so with our hearts, we do so with everything that we are. Because disciples are made, not created. When someone is saved, it's an amazing moment. It's a a powerful decision, and it's so important, obviously. The most important decision anybody can make. But it's not, boom, I'm saved, and now I'm a disciple. It's a process. It's learning. It's growing. It's becoming closer to him. It's knowing him more. And so we are a part of that for everybody. Teaching them, helping them, being there. And then he gives us the kicker. No matter where we go, no matter what we do, no matter where we are, He goes with us, even to the end of the age, even to the end of anything. He goes with us. He goes right alongside us. In some cases, he goes in front of us. But he's always with us. I love, I've used this before, but I love the poem, uh, Footprints in the Sand. I forget what it's actually called, but you guys know what I'm talking about from that. And how the guy that, that is talking, the narrator says, but where were you when there were just one set of footprints? Like the tough times, the hard times, the times where I had doubts, the times where I was hurting, the times where I, I was suffering great pain. And Jesus said, oh, those are my footprints. I was carrying you. Because he goes along with us every step of the way. There is never a moment of your life that he does not love you. That helps us and that helps the disciples. Because I said, as I said, even though they knew they were forgiven, This is just days after they'd failed him in their minds. And he looks at them and says, hey, you guys have an important job. And I'm going with you. How powerful to tell them, especially in that moment. And all of this helps us to define disciples, uh, to, to, to understand, especially when it says, of all nations, go everywhere. But I have a quote to kind of go along with that. The Great Commission, which is what this is, is to go into all the world. The Great Commission, let me read it correctly, to go into all the world is not only geographical, but must include every field, profession, discipline, sport, etc. You see, when Jesus said this, he was not saying, hey, pastors, Sunday school teachers, Sean's, go and make disciples. He's saying it to all of us. He's saying it to everyone. He's saying it also to go out into your field, because the call is not everybody to be a pastor, but for everybody to be a disciple, to go to where you work, to go to where you live, to go to where you watch sports, to be with other people, to show them love, to teach them by the way that you act, by the way that you think, by the way that you post, all of these things. Sometimes in the church, we kind of turn it into, well, Sundays is when we do discipleship. Like, that's, where, that's what we do, and the pastors, they take care of it, and that's, you know, that's how it works. But no matter how many people watch on live stream, or how many people are in here or in the traditional, the, the pastors here, me, Andy, Ann, like, people have to walk in the doors or open an app to listen to us. But in order to get to that point, they have to feel a desire to do that. They have to want to make the choice to walk in or to get online or to listen And that comes from us in the world. That comes from us showing what Christians actually can be. Showing what Jesus has called us to do. Showing God's love in the world. Being disciples. And so that they see us in the workplace. They see us at home. They see us at the games. And they say, there's something different. There's something different there. The way they handle things. The way they treat other people. There's something there. And maybe they talk to you. Maybe they don't. But that fills them with the desire. The hope plants a seed and then hopefully they come but it still is us in the world showing and it's so it's everywhere, everyone here has a chance everyone here can reach people that maybe I can't or that other people can't because we all have our specialties we all have our personalities I kind of do, but we all have everything in front of us, our own fields, our own lives our own families, and we can all reach those in the way that we are, in the way that we live and it's so foundational to be a disciple. I want to go on to define more of what a disciple is, and this is Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 31. As Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him, knelt down and asked, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus asked. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder You must not commit adultery, you must not steal, you must not testify falsely, you must not cheat anyone, honor your father and mother. Teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. There is still one thing you haven't done, he told him, go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell, and he went away sad, for he had many possessions." So that's the lesson. All of us have to go sell all our stuff right now, get on eBay, and then we'll give all the money to the poor and we'll just kind of live in the gym. No. He's not saying that in that way. He's saying he's talking about priorities, about who comes first, about what comes first, about how everything has to be centered around Jesus. But how he starts is interesting. And, and as a kid to now, I would always read that and be like, why would Jesus say who are you calling good? Because he's obviously never sinned and he's, he's perfect and he's everything. And so he's not saying in that quote that he's not good. He's simply giving the young man who came up to him a chance to think, to figure out, to to, to really truly look into his faith and say and see why he said that. Why do you say I'm good? He wasn't questioning it, he's saying. Think about this before you do anything else. Like, think about why you believe in me. Why you say you're here. Think about the whys of all of this. Do you really know? And then the man asks, what can I do? Because we all want to know that sometimes. We all want that line of where we have to go to in order to be assured of heaven. We don't want to love people too much. Because then that's freaky, right? But... We want to get up to that line. And so the young man wants to earn his way into heaven. And Jesus looks at him. And it says that he felt genuine love. And he already loved him, but he felt such sympathy and hope. And and he knew what was going to happen. But he still looked at him. And he saw his heart. And instead of saying, yeah, you said you follow all these commands? I don't think you did. Because on October 2nd in... 27 A.D., because that's, you know, they still said A.D. back then. Uh, this is, you know, you kind of, you, you lied a little bit. Or, you know, on January 30th or so on, he doesn't say that. He doesn't judge him. He doesn't hate him. He doesn't shame him. He, he just lists commandments. And only six of them. But all six of those are ones that affect other people. They're all outward And he's not saying the God ones, put God first and don't have any idols. He's not saying that those aren't important. But he's saying, how do you treat other people? What do you do around other people? Do you lie? And he's saying that to him. Again, knowing the answer, but also having tremendous love and tremendous hope. And just imagine for a second. Imagine for a second if the entire world followed just those six, much less all of them. But just those six, think how different things would be. Imagine if only Christians followed just those six. Now, some of you parents are like, yeah, you threw an honor your parents. That's right. And looking over at your kids. But there are also other things in there about how we should live and what we should do. But he's saying all of that to help teach him. Again, not to shame him, not, not to say you haven't done this, because he knew the man had climbed the ladder of success. He would climbed the ladder of faith, and so he was feeling pretty good about himself, and he wanted Jesus to say, you got it. You're really good. Like, you've got this going. You should just be the top of the disciple heap. But Jesus looked at him and said, all you have to do, all you have to do is put me first. Look at others next, and then put yourself. The JOY acronym. Jesus Others You. And he says that to him. And the man doesn't even reply. He just turns around and leaves. And and as I said, he's not saying sell all your possessions. He's talking about priorities. He's talking about who we are. About not just what we say, but what we do with it. And so loving God above all. Understanding Jesus' authority is at the center. That's what it is to be a disciple. That's what it is to follow him. that's foundational. It's very easy to say, love God, love others. I know because I say it all the time. It's very easy to say, I love so-and-so. It's very easy to say all of those things, but in practice, it's sometimes very hard. It'd be super easy to be kind to everyone if nobody else was around. Are you guys okay today? Yeah, I'm fine. I had a long day yesterday, but that's a different story. It was a good day, but look. It's hard to practice that. And so I have a quote, and this is from John Kennedy. Uh, As we express our gratitude, we must never forget that the highest appreciation is not to utter words, but to live by them. JFK obviously was not perfect, but the words are true. And again, it's very easy to say, I'm a Christian, and I love everyone. It's very easy to say, well, of course I don't judge them. It's very easy to say, well, of course everybody should be allowed in church. It's very easy to say, well, well, of course everyone has a chance to choose Jesus. But saying it, it's just words. And a very wise man once said, "Uh, all words are made up, rabbit. I almost did that in a British accent. I didn't. And if you don't know that quote, it's still a good quote. If you do, you kind of see what I did there. All words are just words. It doesn't mean that they have no importance. It doesn't mean that your testimony doesn't matter. It matters a lot. But as James eventually said, faith without actions, it's dead. Faith without showing people what that means, words without backing them up, it's nothing. And so... What Jesus is saying to to the young man, to all of us, is your words are cool. Good. It's important to have those words, but you've got to have the life to back it up. Because without actions, what is it? It's like I've said before. You can never work your way into heaven. We all know that. And that's kind of what the young man wanted to be true. But your work, your actions, the way you live, who you are in the world, that can help someone else see the way to heaven. And that's what it means to be a disciple. That's who we are. That's who we should be. Going to verse 23, Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. This amazed them, but Jesus said again, dear children, it is very hard to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were astounded. Then who in the world can be saved, they asked. Jesus looked at them intently and said, Humanly speaking, it is impossible, but not with God. Everything is possible with God. Then Peter began to speak up. We've given up everything to follow you, he said. Yes, Jesus replied. And I assure you that everyone who has given up house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or property for my sake and for the good news will receive now in return a hundred times as many houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and property, along with persecution. And in the world to come, that person will have eternal life, but many who are the greatest now will be least important then, and those who seem least important now will be the greatest then. So even though the man walked away, Jesus didn't turn to the disciples and say, hey, guys, you see, he messed up. You got to do better. He turned to them and used it as a teaching opportunity to say, we are all in this together. We can all give up things and follow him. We can all do everything that he's called us to do. And the disciples, they kind of play our role there. Because when he says it's hard for the rich to get into heaven, they're like, whoa, whoa, wait a second. How how is that possible? Like, what do you mean? That's crazy because they're so much more respectful than everyone else. Respectable. And sometimes we kind of look at it that way. We give people validity just because of how much money they have. Now, he's not saying that it is impossible for a rich person to be a Christian because that's absolutely not true. And in fact, I'd love to prove that someday. But also, the disciples and us sometimes kind of look at money and think, oh, well, they have a lot of money, so that means that God has blessed that. That's how we show that we're blessed. That's how we show that, that we're successful in faith if we have a lot of money. That's not how it works. Absolutely, there are rich Christians, but there are also very poor Christians. All of the people in this passage, except for the rich young man, are pretty poor. And so again, he's not saying this is about money. He's saying it's about priorities. It's about where your heart is. And that's what he sees when he looks at all of us. That's what he sees when he looks at the young man. That's what he sees when he looks at the disciples. It's not about money. It's not about what you want. It's not about anything but your heart. And what is filling your heart and who you are and how you treat other people. And I love the camel thing the camel through the eye of a needle, and I think at one point or another, all of us picture like a sewing needle, and we're like, well, that's obviously impossible. Now, you probably know this by now, because I'm not the first pastor to make this point, but uh, in that, those days, the, the opening to the, the area, the palace, the town, whatever, was called a needle, and it was very small. You know, it was barely big enough for people to walk through. And a camel was basically the biggest animal anyone in that area had seen or heard of. And I love, I don't know if you know who kids in the hall are, but it's an old sketch group from Canada, and, and so they did a sketch where it's like a bunch of scientists trying to figure out how to get a camel through the eye of a needle, and, and I'm not going to go too far into that because it involves blenders and things, but, but the point is, I almost made somebody spit up their coffee, so that was good. The point is, again, he's not saying, if you have money, you can't make it. He's saying, who do you worship? Who do you serve? Who are you a disciple of? That is how you make it to heaven. That is how you help other people to make it to heaven. And it is very, very hard at times. Because again, it's so easy to say, I love everyone and I'm going to be a peacemaker, but it's so hard because other people exist. And other people don't act like that and other people don't say that and so sometimes we fail and sometimes we make it harder. But with God, all things are possible. And the Bible is, has so much proof of this because we look at people like Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a wee little man and he was a sinner and he was a tax collector. And no, those aren't the exact same thing. Come on, IRS humor. <laughs> but... When he saw Jesus, he was changed. But more importantly, Jesus saw him. And with God, it was possible for him to change. With God, it it was possible for Saul to give up his murdering ways and become Paul. the, the, The person who wrote half the New Testament. Who started so many churches. With God. It was possible for Moses, who was an angry murderer, to lead his people, to show God's power in an amazing way. With God. It was possible for David, who had been a man after God's own heart, to come back from his failures. And with God, it was possible for Timothy to live in the faith his entire life. Because with God... All things are possible. And like I said, we make it really hard sometimes. But all of that is discipleship. All of that is what it means to be a disciple. Still, it can be kind of hard. It can be kind of hard. And so I have one more quote. Discipleship is the process of becoming who Jesus would be if he were you. Let me read that again. Discipleship, I just realized it's on the back wall and I've been here a long time. Discipleship <laughs> is the process of becoming who Jesus would be if he were you. I have said many times, you may be the only example of Jesus that someone sees in this world. That's it. That's discipleship. Who would, you, who would Jesus be if he were you? Is that what you'd want Jesus to be? Is that who he would really be? Is that his love? Is that his actions? Is that his faith? Is that everything? That's it. Be the person that Jesus would be if he were you. I don't ever do this, but can I go back to the title slide for just a second? My title slide, sorry. There we go. Uh, My title, I don't always call attention to it, but the road so far. Now, I am an English major, which is also why I'm not one of the rich Christians. (laughs) A comma can make tremendous difference. For example, if I say, stop clubbing baby seals, I'm looking at people that are clubbing baby seals and saying, stop that. I've got a lot of people over there wondering if I'm going to say their name, and I'm not. Sorry, Rob. And so... (laughs) If I put a comma, though, and I say, stop clubbing, baby seals, then I'm being kind of judgmental of the baby seals' lives. (laughs) And so this title, it's kind of got a dual meaning. If I had the ability, like John Madden on TV back in the day, to put a comma there, it would change the meaning also if I had much more height, but the road so far is how far we've traveled as disciples. The road of discipleship going through. It's all of it. You put a comma after the road. And the road, it feels so far sometimes. It feels like it never ends. It feels like we're just continuing to walk, continuing to to, to do the same thing over and over again, and every day is the same. It feels like that sometimes. But full circle, Jesus is always with us. He is always with us. He's always by our side. He's always helping us. He's always guiding us. He's always giving us the answers, giving us everything we need, equipping us. And we know the words. We know His words. We know the actions. We know His actions. We know His life. To be a disciple, we have to go and show it. That's all I got. Thank you.